Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch. Fastball pulled it. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Outfield is so awesome, you get two episodes. This is Outfield Preview Part 1 on February 24th. Is it the season starting in like a month? When's opening day? Yeah, yeah 26th Woo. of March. Wow, wow, how about that? How was your weekend, Chris Towers? It was fine. It was fine. I went to a concert. I uh, I got trapped on the island of Manhattan. Hmm. So it was a good time. Scott, I know you didn't do anything that fun. Let's talk baseball here. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know me. I do. You do not know what I do you, with my weekends. You did nothing. You did nothing. Uh, yeah, most of my weekends when I wasn't corralling kids was preparing for and administering the uh, the auction phase uh, of the offseason in the Dynasty League. So, yeah, yeah, that that's not much fun. You're right. Okay. Outfield is fun, though. We got some of the very best players in baseball, the first five picks, basically. So why don't we start with this? And, and, you know, part two will, will be, you know, deeper into ADP. Part one will be a lot of strategy and hopefully the first 15 to 20 outfielders or so in average draft position, maybe more. How do we rank the top five hitters in baseball? They're going to be in some order, Trout, Betts, Yelich, Bellinger, and Acuna. Well, it depends. If, if you'd asked me an hour ago... I might have said something different than I am now because I actually ended up with the first pick in my TGFBI league. That's the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational. Um, A huge multi-league competition put together by Justin Mason. I got the first pick, and I picked... Ronald Acuna. You are you serious? After half an hour of waffling, I picked Ronald Acuna. And I'm at peace with it. I, I did, it wasn't like I was filled with immediate regret. I um, unbelievable. I unbelievable think stuff from Scott. White. It really is. I, it's no backbone. Around. I think it. <laughs> I'm a hypocrite. I know. I think it might make a difference. Fifteen team leagues, which is what this is, versus twelve team leagues, which is what I rank for, and what I think the majority of people play. But we've talked before about just the scarcity of viable base stealing options. And when you're picking at the end of a 15 team league, trying to thread the needle to get enough steals to compete. I mean, that just sounded like a nightmare I didn't want to deal with as this slow draft plays out. And I figured like, even if it turns out I get some base stealers, like Acuna is the consensus number one. I could just offer them to the guy who took Trout. I don't think there's any trading in the TGFBI. Oh, wait, you're right. <laughs> oh man also well it, still I, I don't think i'm gonna get the steals anyway that's that's kind of a far-fetched scenario i mean if you look at trout bets yelich bellinger and acuna you just look at ops Acuna's gonna be behind all of them now he he'll, he'll hit for more power than bets but he won't walk nearly as much so as you know he's also 22 by the way <laughs> uh but right now he's mm-hmm. not quite the hitter terms of just overall discipline and all that that the other guys are but we've never seen him have a full season as a leadoff hitter and if you look at his 155 game pace as a leadoff hitter in two seasons in 2018 he hit 328 he was on pace for 44 home runs and 32 steals with 104 rbis and 125 runs in 2019 he was on pace for 139 runs and 46 steals as a leadoff hitter and 45 home runs so he does his best work batting leadoff. You would think he would be entrenched there. 
And if he doesn't, if he, they move him down to the lineup, history tells us that he's not going to steal and it's going to be very annoying. But that's not as that's not a consideration right now. So you you took Acuna. Now this was a five by five league, right? Yes, and of course it makes a difference in in that way too. It makes an even bigger difference in that way because if you're not dealing with that steal scarcity, those ways that those other hitters are more advanced than Acuna, which are kind of the same ways they are more advanced than Acuna in real life. I mean, real life, it's still no comparisons. Who's better between Trout and Acuna? But yeah, when you play in, in like a standard points leagues where you're taking into account walks and strikeouts and everything else, uh, Acuna drops to the back of that group of five as opposed to being at the front. But he is he is the safest bet for steals among the five, and he is the most likely to wind up with the most steals of the five, and the power number should be comparable. In a five-by-five sense, the main area where he's likely to fall short is batting average. But even that, I mean, he was a 280 hitter last year, so it's not like it's a problem for him. No, but uh, was this an OBP league or a batting average league? Batting average. Yeah. So in really an OBP league... and forgot the trading rule, but... <laughs> Mike Trout has led baseball and on-base percentage three of the last four years, and he was second the other year in that stretch. So... He only he stole like what twelve bases last year or something. Missed a little bit um, of time. Yeah, I I think in an OBP league, I'm not even going to hesitate. I'm going to take Trout because he's sure. just unbelievable there. And in a points league, I don't see why you wouldn't take Mike Trout when you don't need right. steals. Let's finish out the top five because you took Acuna one. So now, mm-hmm. what's the rest of your top five? And then we'll get Chris. Trout. We're talking for a five by five league specifically, right? Um, yes. So I'd go Acuna. One, Trout two. I still might go Trout one in a 12-team league, but very close. Yelich three pretty easily. Bellinger, I don't hesitate much there making him fourth either, and then Betts fifth. All outfielders, obviously. And Bellinger's first base eligible, so that helps. Uh, It's it's. This really matters. You know, you could sit here and you're listening and you're saying, you're saying, why are you wasting your time on this? They're all great players. Well, Chris, we talked about this with the top four running backs. You could take any order of Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara. You're going to be fine. You could take any of them number one overall. Well, like, Kamara was a bust. He just didn't score enough touchdowns. And you kind of look at it and say, well, he didn't stack up really before this, before 2019 in total yards. So maybe he had more bust potential than we realized. Uh, Barkley and Zeke were both good when they played. Can't do anything about injuries. But there was only one Christian McCaffrey, and he was a league winner. So... You know, this does matter. I don't know that we know what it's going to be. We might be wrong, but I, I just, you know, this is important. So, Chris, how would you start your your first five? I think you probably still just go Trout. Um, I, I get the the argument for Acuna. It is worth noting, Yelich was actually the best player among this group last year, and it wasn't really all that close. Um, you know, he did obviously miss the last thirty or so games of the season, but he was the number two player overall on a per game basis. He was well above everyone. So we shouldn't forget that. Yeah. You know, he, he was a an absolute like when we say five category stud, he was actually the five category. Yeah. Stud. He was leading that- the on stolen bases and home runs at the time. And I think uh, he, if he wasn't leading a batting average, he was very, very close. Yeah. He's so amazing. I, there were actually a couple of people because as this was playing out as I was kind of waffling this was playing out over Twitter I was kind of wearing my emotions on my sleeve and there were a couple people trying to just say I'll take Yelich at round one it's the best of both worlds because Yelich in an injury shortened season did have 30 steals I mean the steals pace was comparable to Acuna but that's an outlier for his career his previous high was 22 he had only had two 20 steal seasons and then so he comes up with 30. Now he goes 30 for 32, so I don't doubt he's Yelich is uh, capable of doing it again. I just don't know, especially coming off a fractured kneecap, um, if he or the Brewers are going to to push them. If either one is going to push him to have that steals total again, especially since that's not his track record. Okay, so Scott goes Acuna, Trout, Yelich, Bellinger, Betts. This is in a 5x5 five five batting average Roto League. Chris, you go what? I think it's Trout, Acuna, Yelich, Betts. Now, Ballinger, Betts. 
that it, it it's like almost there's like two tiers for me it's like the top three and then the next two are the harder ones like i think the top three is pretty much set um i have a really hard time making a case for bets or bellinger being the top pick but uh, even though Betts has been the number one hitter in fantasy, I think two out of the last four years. Yes. Um, but that's the way it breaks down for me. I think there is a, a gap between the those first three and then the next two. Mookie Betts has never hit more than 32 home runs. Now, he's been able to be the number one hitter in fantasy without hitting more than 32 home runs, but that's not a huge number. There were, let's see, 24 outfielders who hit more than who hit 30 or more home runs, so that's not a huge number. Uh, you know, his his batting average has been kind of all over the place, but it's always good. He's good everywhere. But the steals went down last year, and he's. I think he's going to be a little worse in, in Los Angeles than in Fenway. He's had really, really good home numbers, a ton of doubles. So, yeah, I mean, he's amazing. I, I can simplify this for everybody because I think what it comes down to in a f- traditional 5x5 five five categories league, how 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 confident are you in the stolen base total for these five? Sure. And then in a traditional head-to-head points league, traditional, I don't know if it's traditional, but a head-to-head points league, what does the strikeout-to-walk ratio look like? And that that ends up being the determining factor for me in the order I select them. So, so uh, how do you go in points, then? In points, I go Trout, Yelich, uh, Bellinger, I think, over bets. I might have to take a closer look at that. But that that's closer, I think, at a points league. Definitely. And then uh, Acuna's not even the fifth overall player for me. I actually have Garrett Cole ahead of him. I'm not even sure league. he should be the number five hitter. I mean, I'd probably take Freddie yeah. Freeman over him, but you might think I'm crazy. Or 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 uh, Bregman. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh Bregman. Bregman over him. Yeah. Easy. No, I wasn't even thinking yeah. about that. Anthony Rendon sure. was better last year, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh yeah. But Anthony Rendon was better in Roto too. That was oh. his best season. But no, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah, Anthony Rendon, I think, was third best on a per-game basis in points league, and he was really high in Roto, too. But He was fifth in Roto. Not, obviously not better than Acuna, because Acuna was number one. Yeah, And look, Bellinger made a huge jump in plate discipline last year, so Acuna could certainly do it. But I think until you see it, you know, you, you don't project it, I guess. So this it's just an, it's a great, great group of players. They are going to contribute in all five categories. To what degree, we don't know. Mike Trout had a season where his steals were down, and then he stole like 30 the next year. If he wants to steal, he will. Um, but we all agree he should be number one in points. Chris says he's number one in 5x5 five five Roto. Scott says he's number two behind Acuna. Scott I'm does still waffling. Okay, yeah, I told yeah. you, the league size matters there. And the OBP versus batting average matters. If it's OBP, you go with, with Trout. Yeah. Now, Yelich... Um, I, saw some, I came up with somewhat of an interesting comparison. He has led... I look at his numbers, and they almost, like, they seem too good to be true in 2018, and then he did it again in 2019. Better. And he was on pace for like 60 home runs before the All-Star break, but they still seem too good to be true. He has now <laughs> led baseball and home run to fly ball rate each of the last two seasons, about 35%, about 32% home run to fly ball rate. And I see J.D. Martinez, right? And J.D. Martinez was more like 30% and 28%. And then he went down to 23.5% in 2019, and he went from being elite to being, like, really, really good. So is there does, – does Christian Yelich, to you, feel like he can do it again? I, I know it's crazy after two straight seasons of, of incredibleness. Actually, first year with Milwaukee, he was kind of ordinary at the All-Star break. It was after the break he just became Superman. But I'm guessing. I guess I'm asking you: With Yelich, do you have any concerns about him just being great instead of being best player in baseball? Um, any concerns about just being great? I no, don't no, know. Any, any, any concerns. concerns about him being? Any concerns about him him being just being great instead of being the best player in baseball? <laughs> like, like having I a guess. late I, first I, round like, pick. I don't. Type I don't think he's going to perform like less than a first rounder if he stays healthy. Like it's, it seems like. At this point, I'm saying the profile's safe. I mean, even the, like last year when there was a lot of skepticism surrounding him, it was like, well, look at the fly ball rate. It's still not great. He had to have this crazy high home run to fly ball rate. And then he kind of uh, hit more fly balls. That's not even so much an issue anymore. (laughs) Yeah. So what would be the case for not believing him in him relative to 
Ronald Acuna or Cody Bellinger. There's more reason to believe in him than either of those two guys. Sure. Yeah. I agree don't, with that. Don't disagree here. Yep, I agree. Uh, I think the only one you can say for sure will be a top five player if he stays healthy is Trout. Yes. Yeah, you sure you want to take Acuna for? <laughs> I am at peace with this decision. I'm a little less at peace with it I mean, now knowing Scott, I can't swap him for Trout if... Uh, Scott, if I know you basis. well enough to know you are definitely not at peace with it. I, I, I am surprisingly you are, you are a very this. You're a very anxious person when it comes to these things. There will be no point at which you... I, I feel like you have never been at peace with a fantasy oh, baseball yeah. pick that you've made. <laughs> or, alone... or a podcast. That Scott always thinks like he was terrible on the podcast. He's like, the podcast... Like, he's, he's Scott... He needs more confidence. Like, he's the man. Scott is the industry leader. Scott is the GOAT. He needs... Get, you get, ben, he's always, uh, he's always waffling. All right. So, um, overall outfield strategy then. Uh, Chris, do you have one? Guts, do you have uh, I mean, I think probably in a points league, I have been trying to be more cognizant of the fact that you only have three outfield spots and you don't want to fill it up as quickly as I tend to do. I tend to uh, a, a little bit of the kid in a candy store proverbially, and I'll I'll draft too many outfielders and then get to the end of get to the twelfth round and want more outfielders and realize I don't have any room for them. So. If I have a strategy, it's probably just be mindful of that. Right. You don't want to feel there are just too many good sleepers and mid round players, but but yeah. You know, I I could take I'm not gonna take three in my first like eight picks, but I could take two. Oh, I you could easily take three in your first well, eight picks. I'm not going to. Right, but you can and have a great team and feel really good about it. It's just that you might you'll probably reach a point later in the draft where the outfield options are better than what's remaining at other positions. That's the thing that's always difficult with it. Right. So I think I finally verbalized this in a way I'm comfortable with in my outfield strategies piece. I have one for every position. Go check them out. CBSSports.com. But I've noticed that I tend to only have one outfielder by like the end of round 10. And it's, you know, if we're talking about like a head-to-head league with three outfielder spots to fill, it's pretty easy to understand why. But it's true even in the five outfielder leagues. But the five outfielder leagues, we're typically talking about a, a, a roto league, obviously, where you're trying to diversify uh, your team's output across the five categories. And while there's depth at every position now, including each of the infield spots, there's not the variety of contributors that you can find at each of those individual infield spots. Like if you waited to fill third base and shortstop and filled up your outfield ahead of time, but you need more steals or you need more batting average or whatever, like there's going to be options in the outfield to get that stuff late. You can't be sure what's going. There might be a decent enough player late at shortstop and third base, but you can't be sure what he's going to provide for you. That's fair. Sure. And I guess just like identify some sleepers that you like going into the draft and make sure you're saving spots for them. But uh, we'll get into those late round players on tomorrow's show, show more so than today's. Although I think we'll do some sleepers, breakouts, and busts. Yeah, three outfielder versus five outfielder is totally different. But if I am in a five outfielder league, I don't know if you just covered this and what you were saying, Scott. I apologize. But, I, you know, there's a big difference between the elite guy. It's a top-heavy position. So, I don't know. I think I want two really, really good outfielders if I'm in a five outfielder league, at least. You know, I could go three great outfielders and then wait and wait and wait and take my fourth and fifth a little bit later as just category fillers. Uh, But I don't want to be weak at outfield because infield's interesting now. You know, infield, those infielders... This is what I just talked about. Yeah, but they play all over the diamond. So, I think it's easier to fill infield now because you got so much multi-position eligibility. And... That that might make outfield feel a little bit shallower. I'm not going to, I'm not going to wait too long in a five outfield league to to get probably my third to get my top three. Outfield can never be shallow. It it can never be shallow just because there are way too many players playing it. And while it may be weaker at the top some years than others, there's always going to be some place else to turn. In the outfield, unless you're playing in like an AL or NL only league, there's always there's always an upside pick to be found. There's 
um, to a degree, there's there's even a steals source to be found, um, you know, less so this year. But, you know, a guy like if you got in a really desperate spot, a guy like Jared Dyson doesn't get drafted in the standard rotisserie league. So there's always something out there. And okay. you can't say that for the other positions. I, the one thing I will say is like in the, the top 150 in ADP right now, there are 21 shortstops uh, or 21 third basemen. According to Fantasy Pros, there are 22 shortstops. There are 42 outfielders. Now, that's twice as many outfielders as third basemen and slightly fewer than twice as many. But there are five times as many roster spots. And even if you want to say, okay, well, corner infield, middle infield, there's still, you know, two and a half times as many roster spots to fill. So I, I do think... Maybe in the like 150 to 250 range, there are a lot more outfielders, but I think we might be overstating how deep it is in the like top 150 range. I'm looking, I'm trying to look at an early Roto mock draft that we did and to see who my out five outfielder league, Charlie Blackman. Yeah, so I didn't, I didn't really prioritize outfield here. Charlie Blackman, David Dahl. This is really I drafted this team. This team sucks. <laughs> Charlie Blackman, David Dahl, uh, Kyle Tucker, Aristides Aquino, and Nick Senzel. I must have taken Aquino before some of the transactions. Yeah, yeah and I, Senzel and Aquino both lost value after that. But prior to it, they were both like that was an outfield full of top forty outfield. That outfield's pretty good outfield. I would want a better outfield than that. Okay. I, I think I, I mean, want definitely. It, there, you definitely took some gambles there for the sake of upside, but look, Kyle Tucker could be. Yeah, that's true. A, he could be a 25-25 guy or better this year in a deep lineup. Scott, you're outfield in this league. Mike Trout, and then late. Oh, no, well, not super. Mike Trout, Trey Mancini, Danny Santana, Mark Canna, and Brian Reynolds. And I like that outfield. That's good. Of course, it has Trout, so that's, you know. Yeah, that's. Mike Trout's carrying a lot of weight there. Yeah. I guess I just like those but I, particular players. But I'm happy players. with that outfield. Like right. that, that's almost my ideal that's Roto outfield. Mike Trout and then four guys who were not being drafted in fantasy a year ago. Chris is like, outfield. Any, oh, I'm sorry. It's Chris. my MO. Uh, Aaron Judge, Michael Brantley, Ryan Braun, Lourdes Gurriel, and John Birdie. So I, it's not super great either. None of us went too crazy <laughs> on outfield in this roto draft, and maybe, maybe that's just the reality of it—that you're just trying to fill these other positions, and they are thinner. And even though you want good outfielders, you realize, as Scott has been saying, what you can get, and Chris has been saying, what you can get late at outfield is just better than what you can get at other positions. Okay, better and more choices in terms of what they provide and what their upside looks like. Mm -hmm. Well, then why don't we talk about some, uh, some sleepers, breakouts and busts. Let's do a few auction questions, $260 budget. How much should Mike Trout go for? Close to 50. I have him for less than that in a five by five. I have him. There's a good chance he will go close to 50, but I, I project him. I have the top players for like 42, I think, 41, 42, that range. How about Charlie Blackman? Um, Charlie Blackman. I don't know why I don't just open these ahead of time. I'll have to get it open. Hang on. <laughs> Discuss among yourselves. Well, I mean, think, think on top of your head. You just saw Mike Trout go for $50. Now Charlie Blackman's yeah. nominated. I'm thinking that's like a $23 player or something. Yeah, it's probably right. around 20 Okay. And then like an Eddie Rosario. Um, I would guess about nine. 12. You said nine, Chris. Yeah, maybe nine's closer. Right. And so the guys like Eddie Rosario, Nick Castellanos, who Chris wrote as a breakout, and I, I really want to get a lot of Nick Castellanos. And that's, that's a range that I'm pretty interested in, in outfield. And that's always the case. I mean, I feel like every year there's these outfielders that are going like kind of in the 80 to 110 range in drafts. Just have a, a crap load of upside. You know, last year I remember it being David Dahl, Michael Conforto, I think Michael Brantley. And they did obviously they don't all pan out. Uh, Rosario, I believe himself may have been in that range, but they're good. You know, they're solid players. So I like that range a lot. Like Lewis Robert is in there. Lewis Robert is in there this year. Marcelo Zuna, uh, maybe Andrew Benintendi is a bounce back. Tommy Pham, Rosario, 
Is there a range in the draft that you guys particularly like the value of? And Michael Brantley, by the way, is going 100. How is he going 123rd? Am I looking at like last year's ADP? What is that all about? That's crazy. Michael Brantley. Wow. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. My computer is like handcuffed right now. I got too many drafts open that time of year, Adam. My computer cannot keep up with my drafting. How is Michael Brantley the 34th outfielder off the board? Like that's insane. Um, yeah, that makes him seem underrated. He is a guy who's tends to get, tends to get underrated in a five by five league because people just as a general rule, don't seem to put much stock in batting average and points leagues. People are much more appreciative of what he brings to the table because he so rarely strikes out, but yeah. um, All right. Well, he was 21st in Roto 15th in points last year. That's Brantley. Anyway, it's a big group of um, outfielders that are going, let's say, 83rd to 110th. And that would be, what did I say, 83rd? That would be 21 to, that would, it's like uh, 12 outfielders. So I like that range. Some uh, enticing players there. And maybe a bit of a drop-off to the guys below it, at least in terms of consistency. So I'm going to have somebody from that range, hopefully. I don't know if you guys would like to contribute to this uh, discussion. So the range I end up drafting from, I mean, you just you just kind of saw it with the, the team you read off that I, um, that I ended up with. Uh, it's, it's actually lower than that because the range you're talking about, I still, there still tends to be a lot of high upside infielders on the board um like uh like Marcus Simeon and Josh Donaldson I guess, I guess DJ LeMay who goes a little before that yeah he does there's um, a lot of, a good, lot of good, good players for sure yeah yeah and I don't know I'm just not that concerned about it. I really like Mark Canna I really like JD Davis I, I I like David Dahl. I think David Dahl, people are kind of lukewarm on him for the first time in a long time. And I kind of understand why. But at the same time, I mean, Coors Field does magical things for players. He had great numbers on a per-game basis last year. Um, so, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine building an outfield mostly of people like that who... You know, even that range, you're not even talking about players who are going to bury you in batting average either, necessarily. And and that's, I, I feel like I have to take advantage of that. Here's one thing I'll say about this range of outfielders, though. We're talking about guys like Jorge Soler, Tommy Pham, Eddie Rosario, Joey Gallo, Ramon Laureano, Luis Robert, Jeff McNeil, Marcelo Zuna, Andrew Benintendi, Trey Mancini, Nick Castellanos, Reese Hoskins, Michael Conforto, Michael Brantley. I don't think you should take the I don't think you should go safe here. I think you should swing for the fences and identify the guys with big upside. Like I think Who's the yeah. safe, who are the safe guys in this range? Eddie Rosario, right? Yeah. Tommy Pham, I guess, even though he's playing with a torn UCL. <laughs> Benintendi I mean, is Benintendi but, but, like Ben does Benintendi have upside? You know, I don't know. Yeah, that, I guess that's the question. I guess it's a question of like what what does the the term safe mean? Don't go safe. Fine. I, I would say prioritize upside. Let's get rid of the whole safe thing. For me, the upside play is Jorge Soler, who looked like, particularly in the second half, I mean, for the year, he almost hit 50 home runs, so it was just great, the overall numbers. But in the second half, the improvements he made with plate discipline, I mean, he looked like Giancarlo Stanton, the year Giancarlo Stanton won MVP, which was, of course, an outlier year for him. Uh, he makes he was making that quality of contact and strikeouts were to the point he was striking out at a below average amount for a power hitter, not just he was keeping them under control. And uh, I mean, I I think it's 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 hard to imagine him hitting more home runs than he did last year. But just as in in terms of being an overall hitter, I think there's a chance Soler is even better than he was last year. Solaire after the All Star break hit 299 with 25 home runs and 70 strikeouts in 71 games. 
he had an OPS well over a thousand. Uh, Chris, I I like Castellanos a lot. I'm with you on Castellanos. He's in my breakouts column, and a big part of that is just he was really really vocal about the impact that Comerica Park had on his numbers. He said he would talk about how you know he'd hit a ball 430 feet to center field, and it would be either an out or a double, and you know that might be a bit of an exaggeration, but it is inc- incredibly deep. Uh, in Comerica Park and what we saw after he got traded to the Cubs was he looked like I mean frankly he looked like JD Martinez now I'm not saying I expect him to do that but the bat ball profile looks very similar he's not as good of an overall hitter but Nicky Castellanos looks like someone who should have been putting up better numbers than he has been over the last few years and I think playing Half his games in Cincinnati is going to help him live up to that. There are two players in particular. The two players who I think will most be improved by venue changes this year both play the outfield. One is Castellanos and one is Avisal Garcia going to Milwaukee. If you do just like a park overlay of their uh, um, spray charts from last year, it shows them both hitting... <laughs> like double digit more home runs like it, it and obviously it doesn't it the analysis is never as simple as that but it just gives you a rough idea of what that sort of venue change can can mean for players like them mm-hmm. yeah he wasn't it's, it wasn't quite as simple as every single year his road numbers were this or that but um for castellanos but i think just the overall picture is comerica certainly held comerica certainly held him back so sleepers, breakouts, and busts. Scott, who's your favorite sleeper outfielder? My favorite sleeper outfielder is Mark Canna, and frankly, I think it's kind of ridiculous that I have to call him a sleeper, but he is going so late, uh, 269th overall in terms of where he ranks in ADP, but the way you do ADP, Adam, 290th overall. I wouldn't recommend waiting until 290th to draft him, but <laughs> this guy broke out in so many ways last year. Um, From what I understand, and and the heat maps back it up, made a conscious decision to lay off outside pitches because that's not his wheelhouse. And it led to him walking a lot more. He had a near 400 on base percentage. And it led to this power explosion from him that uh, frankly only got better as he started playing more often, he ended up with better splits against righties than lefties, even though he was kind of billed as a, uh, a platoon player early in his career. He played a lot of center field. So it's not like he's a defensive liability for the athletics. Um, I, I think he's, I'm assuming playing time is the main reason there are playing time concerns and that's why he falls that far. But like his production as a full timer, which was about late June to the end of the season was Chris Bryant level. And even if you want to, you know, dial those numbers back a bit, it's it, it, it seems likely to me Canna as an everyday player could contribute Michael Conforto type numbers and Conforto is going 150 picks sooner. So Canna is a player, regardless of format, I want to end up I, I want to have on all of my teams. Mark Canna for Scott. Chris, can I get a sleeper from you? Giancarlo Stanton. You know, I'll just let you know that Heath already made fun of you for putting, on the football podcast today, he made fun of you for putting Giancarlo Stanton in your column. Well, you know what? Before 2017, I wanted to put Giancarlo Stanton as a breakout, and everyone talked me out of it. They said, you can't put Giancarlo Stanton as a breakout. Well, you know what? I make the rules on the (laughs) phone now, and Giancarlo Stanton is a sleeper because he's going in the fifth or sixth round on draft day. And this is a guy who was a top 24 player in 2018. He was a top five player in fantasy in 2017. Yes, he struggled to stay healthy last season. Yes, he has struggled to stay healthy in his career. I think he's only played more than 140 games. It's either four or five times in his nine major league seasons. I'm aware of all of them. Are you? Yes. Okay. I'm also aware of the fact that he is one of the best hitters in baseball. And we saw no reason to believe that he stopped being one of the best hitters in baseball last season. What we saw was that he struggled to stay healthy. That's fine, but he missed 
I think five games, maybe six games between 2017 and 2018. So it's not like he can't stay healthy. And as anyone who listens to this podcast knows, if the main argument against a player is that they can't stay healthy, I'm going to buy in on them. Just want to clarify, he was not a top 20 player in 2018. He was a top 20 hitter. He was the number 24 player, I believe, in 2018. Oh, based on Roto? Okay. Well, I have him as... I have him as the number th- uh, 22 hitter in points leagues, number 16 hitter in Roto. And by the he, way... He's really good. He was a yeah, lot he, better than the number 57 player where he's being drafted right now. I know. People forget about 2018. He only hit 266, but he had 38 home runs, 100, RB, 100 RBIs, 102 runs in 158 games, and he actually played hurt in September. Surprise, surprise. He had, he had a... 700 OPS in September that kind of, or his last 31 games that hurt his numbers. That's Giancarlo Stanton we're talking about here. And yeah, I mean, fifth, sixth round, it's pretty damn. I I agree with you, Chris. I don't know if Scott does, but I like it. No, Scott has him as a boss. Scott hates Giancarlo Stanton. <laughs> That's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy to hate Giancarlo Stanton. I mean, Stanton. at 60th overall, basically, wait, what, who, you know. Well,. Not? It's hard to explain, and it's my job to explain. So I guess I'll try to explain. But like, I think any, I, I think any, I know where you're going. Hold on, what he does, everybody else does. Is that what you're gonna say? That was my argument heading into his MVP <laughs> okay. season. Is just what value is a 260 hitter with 35 to 40 home runs in this environment? But of course, that was more like when you were talking about drafting him in the second round or not. Well, but well, also I, 59 homers. But that was, but, but what I'm saying is that's 2018, the, value. the very, the, value is. the very least 2018 showed that the 2017 MVP season was not the expected no. baseline for Stan. It was, it was, it was the outlier and we probably shouldn't expect anything close to that again. We should probably expect it to be what he's been for the majority of his career, which is, you know, 260, 265 with 35 to 40 homers. And, uh, mm-hmm. So it's it's a difficult fit in this environment, and and then it's still counting on him to stay healthy, which obviously has been a bad bet throughout his career. And I know Chris has argued before it's just a bunch of bad luck. Maybe it is, but I don't know. It's it's I'm not dying for that kind of production even in round five. So it's I'm fine passing it up. And then I feel like. I mean, I, he was the number 16 hitter in 20, 2018. Let's I, like, we're really overstating the case here. I, I kind know, of, but yeah. a lot of it had to do with his lineup, which is still good. But <laughs> then I worry about how he's going to age, especially with all the injuries, especially given that his strength is basically just hitting the ball incredibly hard, historically hard. Uh, his strength is basically pure athleticism in that way. Um, and that's that's always a profile that doesn't age well. I feel like I, I compare him in terms of how much he strikes out and how hard he hits the ball. It lines up very closely with Ryan Howard, who began to fall off at this age. And Stan, of course, has a lot more injuries in his history. So I, I don't know. It just but, it just seems like a gamble I don't want to. All right, that's cool. That's or cool. A lot less athleticism to spare. And he ruptured his Achilles. All right, let's, yeah, let's the, wrap the, up there. The, the Achilles thing happened to Howard later. Let's go to uh, our favorite breakout outfielders. Scott, you go first. Uh, my favorite breakout outfielder is... Oh, man, so many choices here. Let's go with... I, I guess I already talked about J.D. Davis at third base, right? So let's talk about Kyle Tucker. You took mine. Ah... Man, oh, do you want me to talk about somebody else? Let's oh. talk about Willie Calhoun then. Okay, it's fine. All right, Scott, fine. Chris gets Kyle Tucker. Scott gets Willie Calhoun. We'll do Willie Calhoun. Um, I don't know what the hangup is for him anymore, frankly, because I understand he was a bad. He has a bad defensive profile, and the Rangers were reluctant to start him for a long time after that. But they kind of they popped the lid on that jar, and now he is. He was an everyday player down the stretch last year and hit a lot of home runs. He had 21 home runs and 309 at-bats. He didn't strike out much. He did exactly the sorts of things he did throughout his minor league career that made everybody so excited when the Rangers traded you Darvish for him a couple years ago. 
and um like I, he just seems like a very safe source of power at the in the range he's going like it should be an easy 30 plus home runs if he stays healthy the profile is similar to Mike Moustakis to me and that it's going to be low strikeouts but probably not a lot of help in batting average just because he sells out so hard for power but that's fine i mean an outfield version of Mike Moustakis where you can get Willie Calhoun is still a good value and uh, if i feel like i have grant i have some ground to make up in home runs I'm I'm always happy to take him as my it usually ends up being about my third outfielder. One sixty ninth overall is where he's going. Willie Calhoun. All right. Kyle Tucker is going just a few spots ahead of him. Uh, ba- like basically five picks ahead of Willie Calhoun. Yeah, and we we need to be uh we need to be honest about Kyle Tucker. He had a down year in AAA last year. It was a disappointing season where he still had an OPS north of 900, hit 34 homers, and stole 30 bases in 125 games. This is the kind of talent we're dealing with. He is 23 years old. He's. Th- I think you're seeing a prime example of what the term prospect fatigue means with Kyle Tucker. He doesn't necessarily have a job on opening day, so that's a concern as well. But you look at him versus Lewis Robert. Skill sets, pretty similar. If anything, Kyle Tucker's might be a bit more safe just because there's not quite as much swing and miss. There's better uh, plate discipline, but they both bring power and they both bring speed. And Luis Roberts going 70 picks ahead of him on average. It just, it seems like a really good spot. And Cal Tucker, you know, last year, limited playing time, showed that he belongs. Four home runs, five steals in 22 September games. So he was even running for the old Astros regime, which didn't value that sort of thing in the same way Dusty Baker does. And that's really what could be the game changer here, too. I don't know why the old Astros management group held back Kyle Tucker for as long as he did, because like Chris said, his previous year at AAA was even better we than got, last year. We got sort of some some insight on that from Jim Bowden, right? I mean, it just seemed like he it just seemed like he wasn't Hinch's guy. Wasn't that well, wasn't that what he was saying? I I don't know, like because he seems to rate out okay as an outfielder, right? I think I think I saw that, um, and they were talk. There was talk of oh well, maybe we'll try him out at first base, uh, where I, he's blocked by Yuli Gurriel at least to start out the year. But you know, he played mostly outfield in September when he was up, and I I am hopeful that he's he's so obviously deserving of a chance over somebody like Josh Reddick. I mean, come on, he doesn't have much left in the tank that he's going to get the playing time that he should have gotten long ago now with uh, with this new management team in place. And, um, you know, if that's the case, we're kind of... He's kind of a post-type sleeper in that way. I know we're talking about him as a breakout, but like, there's no way Kyle Tucker a year ago, if if it looked like there was a chance he could have an opening day job, would be going where he is now. And finally, bust at outfield. Chris... I mentioned him in comparison to Kyle Tucker. I think Luis Robert, the the market on him is is too hot. He's going 95th on average, and in a lot of drafts I've seen, it's been even higher than that. Yes, there's power. Yes, there's speed. But the plate discipline isn't great. Uh, and the White Sox, we talked about this a little bit with Yon Moncada and Tim Anderson last week in the position previews. This is not an, a franchise that has let their guys run as much in the majors as they showed the ability to in the minors. Uh, you know, I think Yon Moncada averaged 75 stolen base attempts per 150 games in the minors. He's been at like 15 in the majors. Tim Anderson was at like 58 per 150. He's been at like 26. I did this the numbers last night. Yeah, and th- those numbers were correct that I just said. Luis Robert has averaged 59 stolen base attempts per 150 games in the minors, so it, the ability to be a 40-steal guy is obviously there. But given the way the White Sox have used Tim Anderson and Yohan Moncada, who are actually better stolen base guys, at least on a percentage basis, in the minors, I'm not sure there's going to be much more than 15 to 20 steals as the upside there for Luis Robert. And there's a chance that he struggles the same way that Eloy Jimenez did. Absolutely. Would you take Ramon Laureano, who seems, I feel like he's going pretty high as well, 
Uh, he's going, Ramon Laureano's going 92nd overall. Luis Roberts going 96th overall. I don't, I haven't drafted either of them. Um, I think I would probably rather have Robert for the upside, but uh, that's not a range where I've taken many outfielders. Mm-hmm. Scott, bust. So I'm going to go with Tommy Pham here. And maybe the revelation of the torn UCL makes it makes it an easier call than it was before. But he was playing all of last year with it. So um, I don't know that that should necessarily be the reason that steers people people away from him. What steers me away from him is a concerning trend going on with his with his batted ball profile. Um, in terms of year by year, he he starts putting the ground the ball on the ground more and more. And um, he's not young, you know, he's 31 years old. He developed so late that there, I think, is a reasonable concern with his barrel rate also falling last year that there's a skills decline going on. So he hit 21 home runs last year, which is not great in this environment. I think it could have been worse. I think if the trend continues, it will be worse. I don't know that we should necessarily be counting on Fam to be much of a power hitter at all. I mean... The, the ground ball rate we're talking about is Eric Hosmer level, which you know has always been a big problem for him. It's one of the worst in baseball. Um, so it's really contingent on him running a lot still. He stole 25 bases last year. I assume that's the main reason why he goes as high as he does. Just everybody needs those steals. But you know the fact that he's not a young player, he's going to a sabermetrically inclined team that probably values him more for his on-base ability than his base stealing. Uh, I'm not penciling him in for another 2020 season, necessarily. 15-15? Okay. That seems pretty safe, like a pretty safe bet. But is that worth the 86th overall pick? No. No, so, so Fam going 86th and Victor Robles going around before him 75th, <clears throat> right? They don't, especially Robles. Like Robles is not has not hit well enough. His hard contact rate was embarrassing, twenty five percent. Robles was thirty fourth in points leagues, 29th in roto in one hundred and fifty five games. He really hit very poorly last year, but he stole twenty eight bases in thirty seven attempts. He hit toward the bottom of the order, mostly seventh to ninth. I I hope he'd have to hit well, I would guess, for that to change. Um. I, my question is, if you think that Robles at 74-5 overall and then Tommy Pham around later at 86 overall, that they are not good enough hitters, even though they're going to steal 25 to 30 bases, potentially. And we don't even know. Like Scott said, not sure about that for Pham. Um, you know, what do you do? If you're like, no, I don't want them, but you have no steals. I don't... That Like, that's a crappy pick if they don't hit well enough. You know, like, it, it's not enough. 25 steals is not enough. They have to hit better, I think. So what do you do? Yeah. What are your fallback options? Well, yeah, the range they're going, I don't tend to draft either. I do think Pham is a better hitter, just in a general sense, than Robles. I'm just not sure he's as much of a power hitter as most people presume he is. Uh, but Robles does seem like a safer base dealer. So if that's what you're looking for, I can almost justify that spot for him easier than Pham. But yeah, I don't like drafting either. That's that's part of the reason why I opted for Acuna in this in this uh, this draft I'm doing for TGFBI is so I don't have to a hope I'm the first one to grab them, which probably means reaching for them, and b have to settle for them and their bats. So um, when I'm looking for steals in that mid round range, I I usually wait a little later than that. I and I go for like a Kevin Biggio, Tommy Edmond. Maybe even like Garrett Hampson. That that tends to be my wheelhouse for picking up stolen bases. Kyle Tucker. Byron, yeah, I mean it's more of a gamble with him, but the upside, the overall upside's higher too. Chris said Byron Bucks. Oscar Mercado goes hundred twenty fifth, hundred something like that overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I don't, I just don't like taking. I I, I can't believe Victor Robles. Has is going seventy fifth overall, a twentieth outfielder off the board, ahead of I Jorge Soler. Mean, part of it is he's twenty two, and he was a yeah. consistent three hundred hitter in the minors, and he wasn't much of a strikeout guy in the minors. So there is, he was a guy who always produced in the minors at a really young age, and was projected to grow into a better hitter than he had shown. And so 
that is one, the speed over everything thought process, but also just baking in some in- improvement for, um, for Victor Robles. You but know, we, what's we, the basis of it? I mean, he didn't, he just hit so poorly last year the, that he's a kid. I understand, but even kids should be hitting the ball better than than Victor Robles did last year. Part of yeah. that, it, it, it is worth knowing part of that. There's been some talk about this on baseball twi- fantasy baseball Twitter over the last week or so. Um, he bunted a lot last year, and that does drive down right. the uh, average exit velocities. Now, if you take out bunts, he's still pretty bad. So that doesn't help him all that much, but it does explain at least part of it. Um but yeah, it's it's dreaming on potential the same way you're doing it with Luis Robert and the same way you're doing it with Eloy Jimenez and the same way you're doing it with Vladimir Guerrero at a different position. You're betting on elite pedigree and elite um, skills to improve the baseline skill level. Okay, so we got about, oh, you know, I think we'll wrap it up early today and just get into ADP mostly tomorrow. I want to talk about one more player because he steals bases and he is Starling Marte. And Starling Marte is coming off his, I would say, his best year, certainly as a hitter, highest OPS. He's going 33rd overall right now. Marte is the 10th outfielder off the board. Uh, okay, he's going to Arizona. Terry Lavello, uh, uh, Tori Lavello is the manager. Now, uh, what does that mean? Well, you tell me. A.J. Pollock had um, a Paul Goldschmidt, right? He went from 32 steals in 2016 to 18 steals under Lavello in his first year to seven steals the next year. A.J. Pollock stole 39 bases in 2015. Then he stole like four bases in 12 games in 2016 and then came back in 2017, first year under Lavello, and he had 20 steals, and then he had 13 the following year in 113 games. Um, Gerard Dyson. In the two seasons with Arizona, he has averaged 38 steals per 162 games. In the six previous seasons, he averaged 49 steals per 162 games, 11 more. Overall, the Diamondbacks have actually run 7th, 13th, and 10th in steals in three seasons under Lavello. But... I don't know if it means anything, but I was surprised. Like, it, I get it why Pollock's steals would decline. And I even get it why Goldschmidt's steals would decline. Maybe it's just coincidence. Maybe it's just where they were in their career. The fact that Gerard Dyson ran, uh, like, what, 20-ish percent less? 20 to 25% less than he did before he his time in Arizona? He's also playing a lot more. No. Right? Um, with, the, with the Diamondbacks? He's playing a lot more and running less. He did last year, anyway. And running right, less. Right, but is that, like, per plate appearance, per stolen base opportunity? It was uh, per game. I got, yeah, I'll give I, you plate appearances, too. I mean, it's either way, it's less. Okay, because he's probably someone who was appearing as a pinch runner less often with the Diamondbacks than he had been before. All right, let's do it again. Gerard Dyson, what did I say? The six years before, right? 38 versus 45, I think you said. Plate appearances in these six seasons before. He was on pace for 477 plate appearances and 59 stolen base attempts. Mm-hmm. With the Diamondbacks, two seasons. Come on, baseball reference. Uh, 567 plate appearances. That was his pace. 43, 44 stolen base attempts. Yeah, so a lot more... Plate appearances, a lot fewer pinch running appearances, which for him, uh, you know, the the value of an added plate appearance isn't quite as high as it would be for another player. So I, I think that probably explains at least some of the difference away. I think probably some of the difference is that he was 33 and 34 in his two years with the Diamondbacks. Um, I would guess, it, it, you know, it sounds like the overall trend is they still ran quite a bit relative to the league as a whole. Not a ton, but above average and maybe he slides back a little bit but Marte hasn't shown any signs of physically slowing down he was actually 52nd in average sprint speed per stat cast in 2019 he was 81st in 2018 he's actually running faster now yeah I mean this is and this is also what I mean about I said on a podcast a few episodes ago that I don't typically consider manager trends like the things managers decide to do statistically like you're referring to here oh these three players 
their steals pace went down under this manager because I feel like the sample is always small. I mean, we have a sample of three, basically, that you're citing here. And obviously, they were all getting older during that time, too. Uh, Pollock was dealing with injuries. I just don't think there's enough to go on unless a manager can really speak to the trend. Like he says, yeah, I don't I don't think there's a lot of value to the stolen base. I think it's too risky, whatever. Then, OK, maybe we can talk about it some more. But when it's just we're just kind of assuming too much. Yeah. Over too little. I, and uh, uh-huh. specifically for Starling Marte. I mean, if he's not stealing bases, I don't know why you acquire him, because it's not like he's a good on base source. He's not a great power hitter. He's not really even a great defender anymore. So what would be the point? Well, he is coming off his best season, so maybe they got duped. But would you, you know, would you rather take Mike Trout over Acuna and then grab Starling Marte with the 24th or 25th pick? It's early, but you're not getting him in round four or five, obviously. So you'd have to go for him there. You know, do you feel confident enough in Marte as a player and a base dealer to say, hey, if I really want Trout over Acuna because I know how Trout's going to hit, there's some uncertainty with Acuna. He's super young. I'll do that but I'm going to take Starling Marte in round two or three. I think you're, I think round two is a reach for him. Round three. Okay. Well, it's the same pick count though. on it's, it. It's 20. It's, it's pick 24, 25. You know, I'm yeah, thinking you got okay. the first pick in a 12 team league, you know? Um, no, there are players I like more. I, I understand you may have to do that just because you're looking at the way steals, uh, you're you're looking at the steals distribution across the league and and thinking this is your best chance to secure some. I understand that, but I'd rather not I'd rather not do that because I just I like the caliber of hitters, I like the caliber of pitchers there more. I, and even like last year Marte stole 25, so it's not like he's going to carry you in the category in all likelihood. I just don't think he's at a stage in his career where you can count on him to do that. No, He'll but be, Trout but Trout will have like 15 maybe. I mean he could have 30. Yeah. But so, you know, you've got Trout and Marte. That's a good start if you believe in Marte as a hitter. If you don't take Marte there and then you wait until pick 48 to make your next pick, Adalberto Mondesi is off. Marte is off the board, obviously. Adalberto Mondesi is off the board. Ozzy Albies and his, you know, 15 to 20 steals are off the board. Um, Whit Merrifield, maybe, but based on average draft position, he's off the board. So if you want steals there, Jonathan VR. Right. And we, and See, Scott this is and I why I probably just them. keep waiting if I don't secure them early. And I don't think I don't think Starling Marte, the caliber of his bat, is good enough to justify the early round pick. Uh, where Acuna's is, I mean, Acuna, forty-one home runs. He had like hundred twenty-seven runs scored, over hundred RBI. He's uh, just just if he if he was just a hitter, he'd be a borderline first rounder probably. Um, right, and then. You add the steals on top of it, and obviously that pushes them up near the very top. So that's that's kind of the like I I definitely get the incentive to fill fill stolen bases early because there are a lot of viable contributors in stolen bases that go early. But what makes them special is they're also really good hitters. And I don't think Marte is a standout enough with the bat to justify the same sort of up charge perfectly said and that's why i think if you make Marte like the centerpiece of your steel strategy you're just like committing to him in round three i think that you know might be might be a mistake scott thank you chris thank you listeners thank you we're back tomorrow with outfield part two we'll go through average draft position everything you need to know all the late round picks as well we'll be back on tuesday see ya If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on Homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. 
The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework.